Good morning. Good morning. Let me use my booming voice. We are thankful to have you here this morning and excited to begin worship together. Um, I have a few announcements as usual uh, to get us started this morning. One being tonight at 6 o'clock is the deacons meeting and then at 7 is church conference. So be aware that those two things are happening tonight alongside our normal uh, student and kids services. Um, We are currently taking deacon nominations uh, there's some extra forms on the welcome table for all members who are, who are interested in being a part of the, uh, the deacon election. Um, there are deacon nominations forms, and it kind of talks you through that process. Um, still taking up baby bottles for the PRC. Uh, there's still, I saw several come in today full, but there's still a couple empty ones back there. So if you haven't been able to get one yet, uh, we would love for you to grab one, fill that up, and bring it back. And uh, we will take those through the end of next week. So... Um, you have another week to fill those up. Also, uh, be in prayer this week for um, three of our men here at the church, James Kingston, Terry Harper, and, and Pastor Neil. They are going to Nicaragua. Um, they're leaving tomorrow morning, and they'll be back next, next week. So um, be in prayer for that mission as they go down and encourage, take gifts. Um, they're going to visit, I believe, the school that we sponsored Um, down there so there's a lot to be done in a week so be in prayer for them as they head down to Nicaragua this week. A couple of big things coming up for our students and kids. Um, D-NOW weekend is March 17th through the 19th. That's for any uh, 6th to 12th grader who wants to be a part of that. It's a weekend to come together with a bunch of other uh, churches and worship God and we stay um, stay at host homes, spend a lot of time together so if you are interested in that uh, please see me. It's $35, um, and there's some papers in the back that you can that you can grab to have information about that. And then, amazingly, um, we'll be looking at our Easter egg hunt already. So that's the end of March. Um, it's actually two weeks before Easter this year because spring break is right before Easter. So we moved it up a week so everybody would be here. Um, so I have some cards in the back, some reminders. So pick one of those up, put it on your fridge. Um, that, that's, a, that's an event for the whole family. We're going to have a meal, um, hopefully homemade ice cream again um, from Miss Jeline's, and then um, an Easter egg hunt and a, and a message about Christ. So uh, keep that on your calendar for March, uh, the end of March, and the, the cards are in the back. So all that to say, um, just want to mention that um, Casey's family has wanted us to thank everyone for their prayers um, for their family, Mr. Philip Denny passed away, and his funeral is going to be um, this afternoon. So just, I just wanted to thank you for your prayers and your thoughts through this, this entire time. And uh, we are thankful for your family and uh, what you mean to our church. So as we begin, Mr. Todd Hanley is going to come forward, and uh, he's going to read our call to worship this morning. reading from 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 through 17 this morning. Paul says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, one who was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. Since it was out of ignorance that I had acted in unbelief, I received mercy. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I receive mercy because of this, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate the utmost patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I just come to you now, Lord, I thank you for this, for this beautiful day you've given us, Lord. I thank you for just an opportunity to be in your house this morning, Lord, with your people. Lord, I thank you for that same mercy that Paul spoke about that you've given to each one of us. 
Lord, I just thank you for the sacrifice of your son for each one of us, Lord. And I pray that uh, you'd be with Pastor Neil as he comes and opens your word to us this morning, Lord. I pray that you would just touch our hearts and our minds, Lord, and just just, uh, give us a, a desire to have a deeper and a closer relationship with you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If everyone could stand up, we're going to worship.
glorious day.
this point we will turn to Galatians but our children will leave for children's church with Miss Yvonne thank you Miss Yvonne and others for your ministry to our children incredible time of worship student leaders and Brooke thank you so much most of those songs dealt with the grace and mercy of God and uh, for good reason, because all of us are in deep and continuous need for God's grace and mercy and love. And that's going to be the emphasis of where we are in the book of Galatians. So if you'll turn there with me, we are in our third week in a series in this wonderful Magna Carta of Christian freedom. As Paul shares the gospel, highlights the gospel... And emphasizes the grace of God to us in Christ. So Galatians chapter 1. Um, the sermon actually is going to begin in verse 11. But to get the context, we're going to go back and we're going to read verses 1 through 4 or 5. Which Bryson preached two weeks ago. Then last week I was in 6 through 10. So let's be clear that we understand the importance of believing and knowing and living in the power of the gospel. I've said this before, but it is a top-button issue. And the illustration goes something like this. Men, if you are buttoning up or down those dress shirts, you got to get that top button right. And if you get that one right, all the other buttons will fall into place. But if you're like me, and often you get that button wrong then everything else lined up under it is going to be wrong as well. I feel that way about the gospel. That if we get the gospel right, if our lives and our church can, can, can be and continue to be gospel-centered, then, then all the other aspects, all the other details of life will find their proper place underneath the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why week after week, and even day after day, we have to continually preach the gospel to ourselves, which reminds us of the need for us to be constantly receiving the grace that God offers and giving out the grace that God has given to us. Receiving grace and giving grace. That is at the root of everything we deal with in daily life as human beings and in daily life as a church. So Galatians chapter 1 begins like this. Paul, an apostle not sent from men... Because they were doubting and they were criticizing his authority and his 
apostleship. So a lot of this is Paul's defense of the fact that Christ called him. He's not sent from men nor through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him, Jesus, from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Then he says, I'm shocked, I'm astonished. Verse 6, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another gospel, because there is no other gospel, only that there are some who are disturbing you, and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary or different, to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Condemned to hell. Damnation. He pulls back no punches on how he feels about the false teachers who are proclaiming a different gospel. Let them be accursed. And then he says, we've said this before and we'll say it again. If any man is preaching to you another gospel contrary to what you have received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be bound a bondservant of Christ. Verse 11 is where we're beginning. So really listen now, okay? Verse 11. Because he says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. Now, the opponents of false teachers were Judaizers, so Paul was very familiar with their content and their attitude of trying to add to what Christ had done for us in the gospel or even take away or diminish what Christ has done for us in the gospel. He knew it because he was once there. He says, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries and among my countrymen. Being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But, and here's the extreme shift. Here is the ultimate transition. But when he who had set me apart even from my mother's womb. And called me through his grace. He was pleased. God did not resent this. God did not hold back. But God, was, God found pleasure, he's saying in verse 15, to reveal his son in me. And, and I want to add, of all people. Okay? I think that's the sense in tone. He called me through his grace. He was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among, of all people, the Gentiles. Because see, his Judaism fueled his hatred of both Jesus and the church and the Gentiles. Those dirty outsiders who didn't belong to us at all, with us and our people. We got it right. So how did someone who was fueled by hatred for Christ and hatred for Gentiles, how did someone like that come to love Jesus and the Gentiles so much? I guess that's why we're in the text we're in today, because of God and His amazing grace. 
So he says in verse 16, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before him, but I, I went away to Arabia. Then I returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that is Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God, I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing. He who once persecuted us is now preaching. He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith, which he once tried to destroy. Now, how ironic. What a reversal. And I think that leads us to verse 24 in the conclusion of the passage. It says, they were glorifying God because of me. Paul says, they were glorifying God because of me. What an amazing conclusion to this chapter. Father, thank you for your amazing grace, which our students have already sung about. Um, help us as your people to understand and appreciate in a greater way the grace you've shown us and the mercy you've given to us as we consider a case study who is the Apostle Paul. He was in such opposition and hatred to Jesus and love and ministry and the Christian faith, but you transformed him with amazing grace to show us what's possible for sinners like us. Thank you for, Father, the, the glory of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, a week ago, uh, the message really was on the need for us to clarify the gospel, to be sure that we understand it clearly, uh, what it is, that we would continue to cling to the gospel, to, to love Jesus and, 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 and what he's done for us, to sustain us over the course of life and discipleship, and then to connect the gospel, to really apply what the gospel truths are to the choices that we make, uh, the way we relate to people, the way we respond to circumstances. So clarifying and clinging and connecting to the gospel. Now, in all honesty, we're going to be doing that every week as we go through Galatians. And we really are doing that every Sunday as we gather together. The gospel is front and center in the life of the, and heart of the individual Christian and the life of the church. So this morning, I want us to be clear on understanding where the gospel came from, okay? Because I think once you know something's origin, then you can begin to understand it. One of the first questions I ask people just in general conversation is, where are you from? Because I really believe that where we are from tells us a whole lot about how our lives are shaped and how we see and view the world and people. So the first question we're going to ask this morning is, Paul, where did you get this gospel? So point number one, if you're taking notes, our gospel is a God-originated gospel. Our gospel, and I want to emphasize that intentional word, this was not just Paul's gospel, but this gospel was given to and through Paul for the sake of the church. So now it is our treasure, it's our love, it's our hope. So our gospel is a God-originated gospel. He says in verse 11, Frankly, I would have you know. Now, anytime someone begins a sentence with, I would have you know, they're automatically using their preacher voice, or their teacher voice, or their parent voice. I guess the tone might go something like this. Well, I would have you know, right? So you know that a defense is coming. An argument is coming. And here's why. 
if you don't like someone's content, if you don't like the truth they're giving, one of the knee-jerk reactions of human nature is that if I don't like the content of someone's message, I then begin to attack their character. Oh, they don't know what they're talking about. We begin to vilify people and demonize people if we disagree with their message. And they were disagreeing strongly with Paul's message that the gospel was absolutely sufficient, absolutely finished, and absolutely perfect to save people by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. They didn't like that because it went against their Judaism, and so they wanted to add to the gospel laws like circumcision. And so Paul says, well, I would have you to know what? Brethren, all right? So he's speaking to the church. As he condemns to a curse the false teachers, there is a contrast he makes with how he approaches the Galatians who are his brothers. What does he say in verse 11? That the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man. It's not according to man. Now that's good news. Because that means that salvation in the gospel is from God. It's from above us. Everything that we are and everything that we have as human beings and everything that we touch is fallen. It's broken. I don't know about you, but I can mess it up, right? And you can too. But the good thing about the gospel, it is sufficient and mighty to save because it comes to us from God himself. Paul is just a vessel. He's a clay pot to hold and preach and carry the beauty of the gospel. So it's not according to man, thankfully, because we are corrupt, we're carnal, we're controlling, criticizing, categorizing, condemning. We, we circled through all that last week. But if it is of God, you cannot destroy it. And it is of God. If it is divine, as Paul claims, then that means the gospel is untainted. It's absolutely perfect and sufficient. You know, we've said this before too. Who was the first preacher of the gospel? The first preacher of the gospel was God himself. God preached the good news in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve when they fell. God proclaimed the good news that he had a plan to crush the head of Satan. It's God who was the first preacher of the gospel. Now, one of the things that this does for us is this mean that, means that gospel truth is very weighty. It's very heavy, right? One of the places in the Old Testament where we see God verbally speaking without a mediator on his own is when he, get, he gave the law in Exodus chapter 20. God spoke directly. God preached directly the law. And it says that the people were so afraid and they were so terrified. And there was thunder and there was lightning and there was clouds of smoke and there was trumpet blast that they said, wait a second, Moses, we do not want to hear God directly speak. Moses, you speak to us as a mediator. That moment in that scene was to tell us that when God speaks, it's weighty, it's divine, it's holy. But it's also very freeing that the gospel originates in God. Because that means that God himself will do the work. And he will continue to do the work. And he has done the work. That's why Paul to the Romans says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So our calling is both the weightiest call in the world and the most freeing call in the world. Why does Paul speak with such confidence and also such humility? Because he knows the source of the gospel. It's not his gospel, but it's God's. 
Therefore, it's worthy and demanding of our honor, our reverence, our love, our care. Our proclamation is of God. Now, you've heard me joke about the young preacher who, following one of his first messages, people are filing out of the church saying, Good message, brother. Good message, young man. You did a good job today. And, and, and one guy says, uh, and this is all coming from my seminary professor, he says, uh, man, that was, that was a really good message. And the young preacher says, oh, it, it wasn't me, it was God. <laughs> and the seminary professor says, whoa, it, it wasn't that good. <laughs> but you know, as I've rethought really that this morning or this week in preparation, that when we preach the gospel and when we preach the word, it really is God. It's God's Word. Now, he's preaching it through a fallen, broken, human, sinful vessel, so let's not get the two confused. But if it's of God, and it's, it, it's His gospel, then we are not at liberty to trifle with it, to adjust it, to tamper with it, to add to it, to take away from it, it is of God. It is, it's His message. Now, one of my favorite preachers to listen to is Alistair Begg. They have this daily program called Truth for Life. And at the end of Truth for Life, they always have this, this little infomercial that basically says something like this. This sermon was brought to you by the ministry of Truth for Life. You are free to distribute these messages as you see will, but... <laughs> You are not allowed to alter it, and you are not allowed to sell it without prior written permission and approval from the people who put out the information. It belongs to them. We need to apply something like that to the Word of God. It is from God. We are not allowed to alter it or change it in any form or fashion without prior written permission, which I doubt God will ever grant us that. We certainly can't sell it because it is all of, of the free grace of God. I've got to move on, but I want to, before I do, say something that James Boyce said this. This is not something man-made, okay? And we're speaking of the good news of Christ. This is patently true for the centrality of a cross and a resurrection don't figure in man-made religion. In other words, if we were to make it up, how would we make it? We would make gods that look just like us. Gods that were comfortable, gods that were easy, gods that, that thought like me, looked like me, acted like me, and demanded nothing of me. This comes from Above, it comes down to us by grace. Man seems always to prefer what flatters him and affirms him and human goodness. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Our God, i got to move on, but our gospel is a God-originated gospel. Number two, our gospel is a God-given gospel i got to be careful here because that sounds a lot like number one. But the distinction for me is this. You may have something, and you may own something, and you may know something, but it's different than having it and giving it. Here's my point. Not only does God originate the gospel and plan the gospel in eternity past, but he gives and, and reveals the gospel to whom he will. So he has it. Ah, and he gives it. He gives it. Our gospel is a God-given gospel. It is a free and supernatural gift available to all. Where I get this is in verse 12. He says, I didn't receive it from man. I wasn't taught it by any man, but I received it. Here it is. It's a gift of grace. I received it through what? A revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul received the good news about Jesus from Jesus himself. Where? On the road to Damascus. 
That's why in verse 13, he starts going through his, his past, his history. But here's my point. We cannot discover this on our own. God has to reveal it to us. We don't seek God first, but we love because he loves us, and he reveals to us the glory and the grace of Jesus and what he's done. Paul says, look, I wouldn't have come up with this. I wouldn't have chosen this. Look at what he says. Consider his past course and career. God intervened on the road to Damascus with this free gift of grace that was the resurrection, glory, and appearance of Christ. Paul says he saw a light that outshines the sun. It blinded him. And the reason that's important is that only God would save him. Only God could save him, and God did save him. Because look at what he used to do. Fueled by his pride and his ego and his self-promotion. He was a rising star in Judaism. But Jesus exposed his sinful persecution of Jesus himself. He mentions his persecution of the church of God beyond measure. He was a fanatic in his persecution of Christ and the church. We could stop here and invent some words for Paul. We wouldn't have much trouble doing it. He was a rogue. He was a thug. He was a bully. He was a tyrant. He was a murderer. He was all of that. When you consider his former way of life, his persecution of the church beyond me. He says, I tried to destroy it, wreaking trouble and havoc. So, so we could pause right here and we could say, what did, what did Paul deserve? Based on his hatred of Jesus and his treatment of the Christian? This point in the story, what, what does Paul deserve? What had he earned? What did he merit? What should happen to Paul? If it was up to you, what would you do to Paul while he was Saul? Paul recounts a lot of this in Acts, and we were going to look over there, but we're not. He basically says when Christians were presented to, as to whether or not to, to kill them or let them live, Paul, Paul voted to kill them. That he rounded up as many believers as he could, and he sent them off to prison. That while Stephen was being stoned, for example, in such a gracious and Christ-like person that Stephen, Paul was there supporting and encouraging and all in favor of the stoning of Stephen. Now we kind of read through that and we talk through that, but if you were really there, man, you would have thought Paul was absolutely the worst person on the planet, Saul. And he, he later realizes this, right? I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst one. And he's recounting all this honestly and transparently, warts and all. There's nothing airbrushed over in the life of the Apostle Paul. And he hated Jesus and he hated the church. The flip side is that he was growing and advancing in Judaism. He was studying the law, enforcing the law. And his ego was so puffed up by his growth in knowledge and information, none of us could have stood to be around him. And as he advanced in Judaism, his, his zealousness and his energy for tradition, that, that only increased his disdain for the Gentiles. Why does he go into all that? So that we could see the remarkable shift of the love and the grace of God. Hey, hey, Paul knew the law side of God, but what side of God did he not know? He didn't know the grace and the mercy and the love that is greater than our sin. So one thing I want to point out, if you're still with me, is the shift in 12, I, I, I. Look at verse 13, I persecuted the church. Verse 14, I was advancing. 
beyond many of my contemporaries and my countrymen, from I, 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 and my, 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 to look at verse 15. But when he, but when he, but God, God did it. And as we look at this story, only God could do it. It took a miracle, a supernatural act of grace and of God to turn Paul from where he was to what he became. He says, he set me apart from my mother's womb before birth. What does this mean? Well, obviously that God knew Saul in his mother's womb, but this tells me more than that. This tells me that he knew every aspect of Saul's life, and he knew how much Saul was going to hate Jesus, and he knew what Saul was going to do in violence and blasphemy to the church and to the Christian, and he loved him anyway. He called him anyway. God knew about Saul everything in advance that he would do, and he still called him into ministry by his grace. What a remarkable story. God was pleased to reveal his son in and through me. I said God didn't resent doing this. God was pleased to be gracious and pleased to be merciful. For Paul later to preach Jesus among the Gentiles. So this is not just unconditional love. This is contra-conditional love. He gives Paul grace and mercy and love beyond what he deserves, beyond what he has earned. The whole story is this radical, free, loving grace of God. And it was weighty in Paul's life, and it was freeing in Paul's life. I was at an ordination service last Sunday for Alex Stewart at First Baptist Church in Franklin. Years ago... As I sat there on like the front row, my own ordination service at First Baptist Church Franklin started coming into my mind. This is like 1990. I ought to be able to remember the exact date. 96, 98. I can't remember exactly the day. I'm thinking maybe 96. But as I heard Alex's brother his pastor and others delivered the ordination charge. I felt in my own life a refueling and a reminding of both the weight of the call to proclaim the gospel and the freedom of the call to proclaim the gospel. And I was floored at my own ordination service when my grandfather stood in the pulpit who was a Baptist minister and he says, and I'm publicly and privately hearing this for the first time, And you make of this what you will. But he shared that when my mother was pregnant with me, his first grandchild, he was concerned. Obviously, this is a long time ago. He prayed to God, and he said that God communicated to him. I don't know how God communicated to him. I didn't press my grandfather at all, really, on this issue, because I heard all I needed to hear. He said, from the pulpit at First Baptist, and I had a lot of this I'd forgotten. I don't know why I forget this. I guess because we're human. That God told him, as he was praying about my birth, that one day I would be his preacher. That did two things for me. Number one, it scared me to death (laughs) because of the weight of the call. But the other thing that it did was set me absolutely free because I knew that if God really does call us to it, that he will provide for us through it every step of the way. Now, I am not at all making myself or my call any sort of special, ultra, super case because I believe theologically and providentially and sovereignly the grace and work of God in my life, and also in what Saul says about being set apart from his mother's womb, that it's also true of you personally and your place and your call and the trajectory God has for your life. The Damascus Road experience 
that Paul had was for you and me as Gentiles to connect with the gospel and its grace and its power. Hey, we said this a few weeks ago. It's no secret what God can do, what he's done for others, what he'll do for you. Paul's personal testimony and any personal testimony I share, the theology behind those personal testimonies are powerful and relevant and available to you. This is a God-originated gospel, but it's also a God-given gospel. It's his gift. I love what it was said about Jonas Salk when he invented quote, so to speak, the polio vaccine, they ask him, are you, are you going to patent this? Are you going to sell this? You can make so much money doing this. Salk says, I'm not going to patent it. Can you patent the sun? Can you sell the sun? He said, no. It belongs to the people. And I think the implications were that, that God had led him to do this and give this. Much greater is a God-given gospel. So what do we make of all this history? He's got three alibis because they were saying, Ah, oh, you came up with this. You just heard this from Peter and the other apostles. No, Paul says, look, God revealed it to me on the road to Damascus. I didn't study under anybody. Jesus Christ himself, in a supernatural work of grace, took me under his own tuition. So he says, I went away to Arabia for three years. What was that? Well, some people said the apostles had three years with Jesus. This was Paul's three years with Jesus. He was in the individual study program, ISP, it used to be called at Heard County High School, isolated with Jesus and the scriptures. And that's where Paul received understanding and love and deeper appreciation for the gospel. Three years. And he preached, he studied he had Jesus to himself with the Old Testament scriptures. Then it says he went to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Peter, Cephas, 15 days. Did they talk about the weather? Did they talk about sports? Oh, I bet for 15 days they talked about Jesus and his glory and Jesus and his love and Jesus and his grace. And then he went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, the extreme north. He was still unknown to the churches in Judea. It wasn't until 14 years later did Paul revisit Jerusalem to confer with the apostles. 14 years later. Hey, your growth is a process. Your growth in knowing the gospel is a process. And as God reveals progressively to you more of His grace, then you're responsible progressively to give also more of His grace. And I'll remind you, the will of God grinds slowly, but it grinds exceedingly fine. And Paul is in the hands of the, the potter, and he is being broken and humbled and molded and shaped to have Christ formed in him. His salvation is not in his story, but rather in the story of Jesus as he recounts the, and emphasizes and highlights the fact that not only was this a God-originated gospel, but it is a God-given gospel. And now he's going to give out the grace that God has given to him in an amazing way. I'm going to close with this. Our gospel is also a God-glorifying gospel. Not only is it God-originated, not only is it God-given, but it is God-glorifying. I find this verse 24 to be a really powerful and incredible verse. Thinking of all that Paul had done wrong. All the sins that he had committed. All the, all the awful, horrible choices that he had made. And now at this point in his life, his life is a cause and a reason for glory and worship and praise. How did that happen? Paul fulfills the end for which we are all created, which is ultimately to honor and glorify God, not ourselves. Paul says the churches in Jerusalem, they praised and worshiped God because of what God was doing in and through me. 
So what we have is something so amazing and so powerful and a reversal so incredible that God gets the glory for it. Now let's remind ourselves that we are to let our light also so shine before men so that they could see our good works and do what? Glorify our Father who is in heaven. All of us are created for His glory. All of us are created for His pleasure. The way God is most glorified, though, is when this wonderful salvation which brings change and reversal in our lives occurs, God is magnified and glorified by His, his power and His grace and His love. Look, look at what happened to the Apostle Paul. And then the connection is, look at what He can do in you and me. Because what Todd Hanley read from 1 Timothy... Paul was a case study of the patience, mercy, love, and grace of God that leads to worship. Now, how has Paul changed? He's gone from death to life. He's gone from being a persecutor to a preacher. He's gone from being a destroyer to a builder. From a killer to a giver of life. He has gone from being a curse to being a blessing. How in the world did that happen? We concluded last week's message with that word, anathema, cursed. Those false preachers, teachers, preaching a false gospel, which is no gospel at all, Paul said they really ought to be condemned to hell. If you stopped Saul's story at one particular point, you would have said, you know what he deserves, you know what he's earned with that character and, and how brutally awful he, he deserves to be condemned to hell. But there's something he says later in Galatians that I think is critical at this point. He says later in Galatians that Jesus became a curse for us so that we might inherit a blessing. The very word, condemn them to hell, is what they deserved. He is saying that Jesus himself became a curse because cursed is one who hangs on the tree. Christ became a curse for Saul. Saul deserved to be cursed, but Jesus became a curse for him so that Paul's life could not only be forgiven, the great debt forgiven, but his life could be formed and transformed and changed to right 1 Corinthians 13, on love. Patient, kind, faithful, gentle. How did he go from such a curse to such a blessing? Because Christ was cursed on his behalf in his place for forgiveness, transformation, and glory to all be given and applied to Saul by grace. And all of that came to head on the Damascus Road and in the years he spent learning under Christ following the Damascus Road experience. So Jesus became everything Paul deserved. Jesus dies. Jesus is persecuted. Jesus is destroyed. Jesus is killed. Jesus becomes a curse on the cross of Christ. Jesus experiences hell for Paul so that Paul could share and, 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 and ultimately make it to heaven himself. That's why God is glorified. So here it is. I, I, I could close this a thousand different ways. And Bryson saw my notes. They're all scribbled. I got 18 ways to close this sermon. I'm going to close it with one verse. Let's land this thing. Galatians 2.20 is the whole story for him, and it needs to be your story too. To me, it's the central verse of this letter. Here it is. I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith. Here it is. Listen. Listen. I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. 
Paul knew all about the law. He wore it out in his life and in the lives of other people. But you know what he heard Jesus saying? Paul, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Paul, you learned that you were the worst, but that God's grace was greater. Paul says he loved me, and he gave himself up for me. The worst sinner of all received the greatest gift of all, and that's the mercy and the grace of Jesus. And it forgave him, and it changed him, and it sealed him for glory. That's why he went from Saul to Paul, complete transformation, name change from God himself. Father, thank you for your amazing love and grace. There's so much more, but this is enough. This is enough for our minds and our souls to feed upon and to be encouraged by. Uh, You're so amazing in your grace. This story is, is a is an example of the story that all of us go through personally if we ever come to faith in you. That is totally of you. It's totally of your grace. It's based on the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and what you continue to do through the living Christ in and through us and through your word. Thank you that this is your gospel. Thank you that you give it. You don't just keep it. You give it and share it. Thank you, Father, that it's it's all for your glory. To you be all honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. Hey, this is it. How deep the Father's love for us. You come as we sing. How deep the Father's love for us. I cannot give an answer
singing and leading and being willing to lead us in worship this morning. Uh, Catherine's going to come now and share our, or lead us in our um, benediction. But as Bryson announced earlier, so tomorrow morning, me and Terry and James Kingston are going to go to Nicaragua. We appreciate uh, the prayers and the love and the encouragement as we go down there to work with Brother Ronnie. Um, continue to pray for Casey and her family, uh, her dad's funeral, Philip Dean will be this afternoon. Um, any other word as we close, something we may have forgotten to share? Deacon nominations will be received through the end of this month. Forms are available. Uh, and then this evening, you may want to say a word about this evening. Don't forget baby bottle boomerangs. We have one more week to bring those back for the Pregnancy Resource Center. Um, and we will have adult study tonight, youth study tonight, and choir at... Five. Uh, we are four weeks away, so I hope you have March 26 marked down on your calendar to come join us for the Experiencing God musical. It's not too late to join and sing that with us as well. Let's sing Blessed Be the Tides as our benediction today. Blessed be the tide that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Y'all have a great week.